Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we'll face on our journeys to glorify God. I love thinking about how the Lord uses those very seasons and challenges to encourage us to turn to the Word, to pray, and to be actively involved in our local churches all things that the Lord uses to bring about holiness in us. Today, we get to hear from Gavin Ortland on that very topic, the topic of sanctification. I know you're going to be so encouraged. Gavin is a husband, father, pastor, and writer. His most recent book, Why God Makes Sense in a World That Doesn't, comes out on October the 28th. Gavin also serves as senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Ojai, California. We cannot wait to share this conversation with you today. Gavin, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Hunter. It's such a joy to get to chat with you. Um, I told you that I have kind of watched you at a distance. What a strange time in which we can know who people are, (laughs) even at a distance. Um, And you've been such an encouragement to me via the interwebs. You are a pastor of a church in California, which just is so interesting to me living here in the Bible Belt. I'd love to hear about that. And you're a father you're a husband, and you also have some wonderful books and things like that. But most of all, you love Jesus. And that's just been such an encouragement for me to see how you speak with grace and truth, even over the interwebs. Thank you so much for your willingness to just join us on Journey Women and do that via the podcast today. Oh, it's my my pleasure and my honor. Thanks so much for having me. How long have you guys been? Is it Ojai, California? That's right. Yeah, that's always the first question in each podcast is how to pronounce Ojai, and you got it right. So good work. Yeah, we've been here for three years now. Oh, just three years. Where are you from originally? Um, I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, and then my wife is from Nashville, Tennessee, but we've been in California, either Ojai or another town called Sierra Madre, which is near Pasadena, for a combined total of about 11 years. So this kind of feels like home out here. Oh, that's really cool. We have many dear friends who are out in California, um, though it does seem like a foreign country to me being in Northwest Arkansas. (laughs) Yes. And we had one year in Chicago in between our two places in California. And that was definitely an adjustment, reacclimating to the winter weather and everything. Uh, Our our two kids, I'll never forget, they had never seen rain, like ever, before we moved to Chicago because there's a drought. And it had rained like three times over the last, you know, two years. And it had always been when they're sleeping. So the first night we got there, there there's a big thunderstorm. And I'll never forget seeing my oldest two kids when they were like two and four. 
faces pressed to the window, just mesmerized by rain and thinking, yeah, this is different than we're used to here. How incredible. Well, we uh, just moved from New England, as I mentioned to you previously, and we thought having moved there from Texas, that New England was the most beautiful place in the entire world. And we had many classmates up at Dartmouth who were from California, and they could not stop complaining, wishing that they were back with the sunshine hitting their skin. So if any of them are listening, I'm thinking of you as we're having this conversation. I thought New England was beautiful, but apparently California is even better. And Californians are very good at complaining. (laughs) When it gets down into the 50s, you see people with their, you know, their winter scarves and everything because it's the only time we have to wear them. I love it. Well, you know, I'd love to hear from you, Gavin, having just watched your family, really. It's really interesting to me to see you're in public ministry, your dad's in public ministry, your brother, brothers. Yeah, two brothers and I have an older sister as well. Oh my goodness. All of you guys are in some form of public ministry. And so I've always kind of watched a distance and thought like, I really wonder what their story is. I wonder how they came to faith in Christ. Could you just tell us a little bit about who you are and how the Lord saved you? Yeah. Um, well, as we mentioned, I'm a pastor here in Ohio, and uh, my wife and I have four kids, ages eight to one. So being okay. a parent is a very big part of life right now. I'm with you. We have a seven, five, and two-year-old, so it's a full-time job in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, my wife is amazing. I don't know how she does it. When I go off to work, sometimes I get to my office and can take a deep breath and kind of say, okay, now things just got a little easier now that I got to work, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of ironic <laughs> that it's like that, but but there's so much fun. Um, yeah, I became a Christian when I was in fourth grade, and I had always kind of just had this deep awareness of God is there and I have this deep need for his grace and mm. just this deep-seated awareness that I couldn't necessarily even articulate, but I had not made any sort of commitment up until that time. And it wasn't anything special. I just heard a basic gospel presentation and felt this pressure on, on my soul, but kind of like a good pressure. And I responded mm-hmm. to the gospel. And then it's been a long process of just growing in my understanding of what it means to Uh, walk by faith, what it means to surrender every area of your life to Christ. And that's kind of a never-ending journey and adventure. Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today is that process. And I imagine, you know, you're not very old, but at the same time, when you look back all the way to fourth grade, you're like, man, there's been a lot of life lived and so much maturing that's been done. So looking back at your life, can you see ways in which God has caused you to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as our brother Peter once said? Yeah, what strikes me the most when I look back is how long of a process it is and how long it takes for me to learn things and to grow (laughs) and how much patience God has. Because when you look back, you think, wow, it took me a long time to learn some of these basic things. And that's kind of an encouragement in a way that, that I think that's normally how it goes. In fact, I remember a pastor once being asked, uh, what is the most difficult part of ministry for you? And I was expecting it would be suffering or something like that. And he said, "Uh, the most difficult part is how slowly I grow. (laughs) which I thought was a very humble answer. And I also thought it was a very um, just sort of human answer. And I kind of appreciated Mm -hmm. that. So I would look back and, you know, a few things that stand out. One is getting married. Uh, It's amazing when you get married, how much God uses that in your own life. And, And then, of course, having kids as well. I think being involved in churches where I didn't just attend on Sundays, but I was really deeply involved. 
I just see looking back what a formative thing that was, especially one church in particular in high school and college that I was involved with had deep friendships. And when you're really plugged into a a culture like that, a, a community, it is so formative. And then one thing that I often think about when I look back is just seeing how God has used suffering. Uh, which is, of course, not the answer that we want to hear. But um, it is so true that God uses the difficult things in life. And um, I'm sure there's many reasons for that. One, I think, is just it forces us to trust God. And it kind of strips us of our self-reliance. And so I've seen God use those difficult seasons in some ways the most powerfully. I actually was just talking to my friend and kind of a a mentor to me yesterday, and we were talking about building in kind of opportunities to acknowledge our dependence on the Lord, Mm -hmm. uh, because I just find myself like going about my day and all of a sudden I realize I'm kind of on autopilot and I'm not looking to him in the way that I would hope I would look to him for the things that I need to be abiding in Christ. And yet, like you mentioned, I've recently had some news that's just really like it just it punches you in the gut. And it's like you can't escape that suffering, that element of suffering where you're like, you cannot escape knowing your need uh, for God's grace and knowing your need for the hope that we maintain in our risen Lord and in the resurrection. I'm like, that is the gift that suffering is. Um, And I'm so I'm grateful for it in that way. And also just so grateful for the Lord's kind of providential care in shaping us and continuing to make us look more and more like Christ. So can we talk about sanctification and that process, like what it is that's going on there and what God's doing through that process of making us to look more and more like Jesus? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So the the words that our tradition usually uses would be justification and then sanctification. Mm-hmm. Actually, in the Bible, you know, we could even uh, use those words differently. They're not always used in that way in Scripture. But, but usually we are just talking about there's one part of our salvation that's kind of a once-for-all thing, and then there's another part that's kind of progressive and ongoing. And actually getting those two things right and understanding which is which like we'll talk about in this, is really important because the ongoing part should be based in the once-for-all part. And a lot of times we tend to flip that. So, um, yeah, so sanctification is usually the word that we use just to describe that process of growth. And as I was just thinking about this topic in preparation for this interview, I was just thinking that it is sad sometimes when in our own lives or in the church in general, we don't see as much growth as we would like. But what we should be seeing is, as you put it, the phrase becoming more like Jesus. That's my favorite way to think about it. We could talk about growing in our faith, growing in our holiness. You know, there's lots of uh, ways we could flesh this out. Mm-hmm. But I think of uh, becoming more like Jesus because Romans eight twenty nine talks about being conformed to the image of God's Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And I love that thought that what should be happening for every Christian is you're becoming more and more like Jesus every day to the point where it's like he's the elder brother and we're his younger brothers and younger sisters who resemble our elder brother, which is such an honor to think that that's our calling and that's what God is doing for us. And it really does help too in those times of suffering when it's hard to think, well, it's worth it. God is producing this masterpiece Mm -hmm. over time through the gospel in our lives. He's making us into almost 
if we could put it like this, like little Christs, you know, and we're not there yet, of course, but that's the ultimate thing he's building in us. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what you mentioned is so helpful because we can, or at least I have the tendency to just think about all the different things that I need to do to be more like Jesus. Like, here's the way Jesus was. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Like, all right, let's go. These are the things you need to work on today, Hunter Belis. And yet when you put it like that, when you're saying like Christ is the elder brother, man, it just makes you want to draw near to him. It just makes you want to spend time with him. It just makes you want to look to him as our example. And that's been my experience that I have, I've seen the most fruit (laughs) from just looking to Jesus, uh, which sometimes, I don't know, it can be a little bit more up in the clouds and more challenging to think about how to practically kind of engage in that throughout our days, as opposed to just saying, I'm going to take one of the fruits of the spirit that I know I'm lacking in, patience, and I'm going to (laughs) ask the Lord just please beat patience into me today. Like I need it, obviously, Lord, like I'm freaking out on these kids in here. But like the the looking to Jesus element is something that I often neglect. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like who is it that actually works like these things that we're hoping to see in us? And what does he work through as you kind of referenced in the beginning of our conversation? Yeah, I I think this helps me as well, because it is easy. And there's this tension of the general versus the specific, right? So sometimes we want to think of just the general thing about just be more like Christ-like. But there is this long tradition of Christians thinking about the specific virtues, you know, like growing in humility, growing in charity, and that kind of thing. So there's kind of a tension there of how, how do you, you know, focus on the specifics without that becoming kind of legalistic. Yes. And you're missing the the bigger picture of this should be making us like Christ. So that is tricky. I think one thing that helps me is remembering that the Holy Spirit dwells within me and that ultimately he is the one who is producing any change that's happening in my life. And that helps me not get so self-focused thinking that it, because mm-hmm. that's the temptation I think is to think it's up to me to produce this change. And we're involved. We should be striving. But it really ultimately is the Holy Spirit's work through us and in us. And so I sometimes find it help, helpful just to pray simple prayers, you know, in, in moments of duress or uh, stress or temptation or whatever it might be of just the, the prayer, Holy Spirit, help me. <laughs> That's so basic. Mm. But, you know, sometimes we need to get that basic and just have those prayers that remind me that throughout the day, I need to be looking to the Holy Spirit. I need to be trusting in Him. He is the one who's doing this. And then just as we've said earlier too, basing my growth in what God has already done in Christ. So basing my sanctification in my justification. In other words, not thinking that God's a level of approval of me uh, sort of goes up and down based upon how I'm performing and how obedient I'm being and that kind of thing, but rather saying, no, there can be, you know, I can have less fellowship with God one day or another. I can displease God in, in something I do, but my ultimate status before God is in Christ. And then from that place, I go out and I and I you know fight sin and I I seek to be a disciple of Christ. Those basic things, gosh, I come back to those over and over, and I just find that such a helpful focus for for me. Mm, that's so good. Like I want to 
just be able to remember that more and more throughout the day. Unfortunately, I think the Lord gives me more and more opportunities to walk in that as I see my sin and have to walk in repentance. And a lot of that happens, especially in the context of parenting. And I know not all of our listeners are parents, uh, but I'm really curious to hear how you talk about this, how you and your wife, Gavin, talk about this with your children. Um, Because I think a lot of times as Christian parents, we're hoping to see, you know, the image of Christ formed in our kids. We want them to walk in righteousness. We want them uh, to emulate, you know, the fruit of the spirit and all the things. But a lot of times we can be even talking to them about this process detached from like justification, as you mentioned. So how is it that you guys have conversations um, with your kiddos? Yeah, this is something we think about a lot. Any question about parenting, I will immediately <laughs> have a lot to say because it's, you know, very much on our hearts and minds these days. One of the things that we have thought about with our oldest two children, they are very sensitive. Our third child just turned four uh, two days ago, and he's very different. He's he's more, you know, we drop him off at preschool and our older kids were a little more timid, and he's he he asked us to stay in the car so he could just walk by himself. <laughs> and he's only four, and I thought, <laughs> wow, every child is so different. You know, you never know how they'll be different. But with our oldest two, it's helped us to think about how careful we must be never to motivate them by shame fundamentally, because that can be very easy if we come in with a real strong corrective, and it's just been a continual learning process of the importance of being gentle and of also of kind of tailoring your your parenting to the unique personality of your child as much as you can. And we've honestly just realized we just need to step back and chill out a lot <laughs> with our with our older two and not be as strict and give them more freedom. I do think about that a lot in our sanctification and in the kind of similar dynamics we have in our relationship with the Lord of he doesn't shame us. You know, that's not how we, that's not how anyone changes. People don't fundamentally, I mean, maybe behavior change for a short period of time, but true heart change really does not come through pressure and through force and through shaming and those things that in our fallen nature and in our culture, we see so easily as forces of pressure when we want to try to create change in others. And this is the great insight of the gospel. You know, before he understood the gospel, Luther says, I hated God. No matter how hard he tried to obey and to please God, he couldn't come to love God. And so it had to start with recognizing God's grace and that totally irrespective of our performance, God forgives us for the sake of Christ. And so that as a parent and in all my other relationships too, I feel that there must be some Hmm. Um, something of the aroma of that. There must be some mm-hmm. expression of that. There must be grace. There must be patience and gentleness. People must not sense that they're on a short leash. They must sense that they're not under pressure. They're not under the microscope. Hmm. And in the way we treat each other, we can hopefully kind of live out the the gospel because that, you know, we're not going to be, it's not going to be fruitful. Um, if I'm parenting out of pressure or out of embarrassment or something like that, that really doesn't get at the heart level. All true change really does come from a place of love. I'm convinced of that. And the greatest commandment is that we love God. And I do believe that all other change and growth must come out of that soil uh, of love for God. And so that's another one of those basic things that's kind of a helpful rubric in our own lives is is the way I'm changing, is it rooted in love for God? Hmm. Ah, 
you are just preaching to the choir here. We are like, that's our mission statement at Journey Women, like moving women to know and love God more. Because yes, I have definitely had seasons of seeking to move myself toward God by like trying to behave and modify like my own behavior to be able to be closer to him. But like you said, just staying tethered to the vine and recognizing the abundant riches that we have in Christ is like, there is no greater way to draw nearer to him. As you were talking, I was also thinking about the communal experience, um, like you referenced, uh, being so fruitful for you personally. And that's been the case for me as well. And even just as you were talking about parenting, I thought about some of the connections that can be made just to mentoring and discipleship. And I've definitely been in contexts where the way by which we would motivate and encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ to change is by coming really, really hard um, with the truth and maybe a bit of the shaming that you referenced. I've been in contexts where I've probably uh, fallen privy to that. Apologies to any of my former like communities. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I also would love to hear from you, like, what does it look like for us to be doing life together under the word of God, richly seeking to love God and to love one another deeply from the heart? And how does God use that experience of community to also bring about change in us? Mm-hmm. Yes, this is such an important part of it. And my dad has helped me understand this a lot. My dad talks a lot about gospel culture and the way gospel culture must sort of complement gospel doctrine. And that if we just have the doctrine, it's not just neutral. You know, we can actually do harm to people mm. by commending the, the truths, but not living them out. Uh, you know, mm. in, in the full expression of that, we just use the word hypocrisy for that. But even to smaller extents, you know, we can really focus on the doctrine more than we focus on the culture. And so just this, you know, one thought on this that helps me is in First Peter 5, when he's talking about shepherding the flock, he says, not lording it over people, but setting an example. And that I've always come back to this and found this so humbling, <laughs> and uh, but so helpful as a focus that the way I don't lord it over people is that my primary sermon is my life. My primary teaching tool is my example. Now, of course, I fall short of that in many ways, but to make that your focus is really helpful. It, you know, if we do that, I feel that we're less likely to move into the kind of pressuring and shaming mode because now I'm more focused on myself. (laughs) And that's always a healthy place to be. You know, we could go overboard with that to where we never gave a rebuke or never gave a correction. And there is a place for those things. I just find it helpful to come back to this, especially even as a parent, you know, on this as well. My kids are watching and I want my primary instruction to them to be that they just see how I'm responding, how I'm loving my wife, how I'm responding to circumstances. So that's humbling. <laughs> that that puts it back on us. But I think that's a, a helpful place to start that can be an ingredient of pursuing gospel culture. I love that. I have a mentor who said, love God and you will parent well. And that just like cut to the chase for me. And I think the same can be said for us as we do life together under the word. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. 
Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. What's the danger in attributing sanctification to our efforts? Um, well, like we kind of talked about, I, I have this tendency to do this, Gavin. I'm a little bit type A, um, a little bit goal-oriented. So <laughs> I kind of hate that too about myself. So just be tender with me here. But okay. <laughs> how does this also, like this reality of, you know, God really being the one who brings about um, like godliness in us, how does that encourage us to zealously grow in Christ and to combat sin. Um, so kind of holding those two things in tension. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This, this does seem like it's an area of tension where we could veer off into an extreme direction in, in, in one way or another, where on the one hand, we could kind of think that there's no place for our efforts, you know, and yeah. that, that sometimes one does see that, that the, there's such a focus upon God's grace that any kind of discipline or, or diligence or striving is looked at as legalism. And Mm -hmm. that really isn't the case. I mean, Paul talks about, he says, I beat my body to make it my slave. When we we look at the great Christians of the past, you know, think of Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, making all these very specific resolutions. You know, there's a place for that. And so we want to create space for that. Uh, At the same time, I think the other challenge, of course, would be starting to trust in our efforts or to forget that it's, God's work through those efforts. And so that is kind of a tricky thing. Um, I think that the simple thought of coming back to the prayer for help from the Holy Spirit helps me on this. I can know in my mind that it's God's work, but it helps my heart be attuned to that if I'm being prayerful. So if in the context of, you know, striving to address something in my life, if I just make it a matter of prayer, that sort of instinctively reinforces this awareness in me that God's got to be the one to do this. Uh, I'm striving, but I'm asking him to do this. And it's kind of a humbling thought that we receive our sanctification by grace, just as we receive our justification. Even though we're striving and even though we're at the process, nonetheless, it's something that we ultimately receive, not earn or produce. And so I I have this great quote that I printed out. I hope it's okay if I read this. It's from a, a book that I would recommend for people by Richard Lovelace called Dynamics of Spiritual Life. And it just Mm. encapsulates, I printed it out before this interview because I thought it's so great. It just encapsulates this whole issue of, you know, our sanctification flowing out of our justification. He says, only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. In their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for justification. Few know enough to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Martin Luther's platform, you are accepted. 
looking outward in faith and claiming the holy alien righteousness of Christ as the only ground for acceptance, relaxing in that quality of trust which will produce increasing sanctification as faith is active in love and gratitude. Now, there's a that's the end of the quote. That's a lot of words packed in there, but just the word relaxing strikes me. Hmm. And that thought that there is a sense, I mean, even as we're saying also there's striving, there's a sense of you're, you're relaxing into, a as he puts it, a particular quality of trust. So there is this sense of you're, you have to start by letting go you know, of our own abilities, our own righteousness, our own efforts. And then we start from the standpoint of Christ and what he's done for us. And then we work hard, but we're working from that. And that, Mm. the way he puts that just really helps me. Oh, that's so helpful. And I can always use a really good dose and a reminder to relax because (laughs) (laughs) I am the type of person who takes things really seriously, particularly when it comes um, to this issue of wanting to combat sin. And sometimes I just feel, I was telling a friend the other day, I feel like the road to obedience for me looks really windy. And the person was like, you know, it's a journey. And they're kind of playing on, like, you know, the journey of journey women. You know, it's like, it's, it's a thing that like the Israelites did like 40 years, you know, in the wilderness, like, the Lord uses this journey to bring about, like, to get the Egypt out of us, just like he was doing with the Israelites so long ago. So what encouragement do you have for the listeners who are in the place that I'm in where they can just, like, look back and they're like, why was this so, why is this so inefficient? Like you said, like, why does this process take so stinking long when all I really want to do is, like, walk in obedience and glorify the Lord? Mm-hmm. One encouragement that I think helps many of us is looking back at the other saints and wonderful Christians who preceded us in church history and seeing how many of them, God produced this masterpiece, you know, Mm -hmm. he did something extraordinary in and through them, but it was a long, messy process and they struggled along the way. I think, for example, St. Augustine and the intensity of his love for God as you see it in his autobiography, The Confessions. And yet he talks about how slow and how sluggish he was and the the worldly kinds of sins that he struggled with well into his 20s. And he had like 10 years as what, what's called a Manichaean, which was a non-Christian sect and, you know, long meandering periods. And he described his conversion as when you wake up in the morning and you're just lying in bed for a long time and then you finally decide to get out of bed as opposed to, you know, you hit the alarm clock and pop right out of bed. And he said, that's how I became a Christian. You know, he sort of became aware, but it took him a long time. So you say, okay, God did something powerful with Augustine, but it wasn't a speedy, efficient process. Or another thing that helps is thinking of some of the the great Christians who struggled deeply, even late into their life, and uh, felt stuck and felt trapped and even felt despair. Um, C.S. Lewis, I always think of his book, A Grief Observed, where he's deeply grieving and he's questioning. I mean, he's really struggling. And he wrote that book four or five or six years before he died, uh, well after, you know, he influenced the world so powerfully. Mm -hmm. And so just seeing those things reminds me, we're not alone. You know, uh, this is a common experience that we have to slow down and say, this is a, a, a marathon, not a sprint. And Mm -hmm. God's doing this beautiful thing, but it takes time. And remembering that we can't always see what our greatest problems are. 
and where actually, like I've, I've often thought it's helpful to say, we should not assume that we know what our greatest struggle with sin is. Sometimes the the deepest sins are things that are mm. that hide from us. You know, some of the some of the deepest vices are things like envy and pride, and things that they tend to to lurk in the shadows. And sometimes we're not aware of the way they're influencing us. And so that should also humble us to say, and this could be an encouragement. We, we shouldn't assume that just because I can't see any progress in my life, that therefore there isn't any progress. The very frustration and the very struggle may be an indication of God's grace in our lives um, and our desire, you know, the, the fact that we are burdened by the fact that we are struggling with things and we desire to please Christ. That very struggle, that very tension could be a, a good thing. I would just say that the main thing that I always come back to is just remembering that in the gospel, God is very, very patient. First Timothy 1, 15 and 16, Paul says, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And, and then he says, but God chose me for this very reason um, to display his perfect patience as an example to those who believe in him for eternal life. So in other words, Christ chose Paul, the one who was killing Christians, so that everybody else could look at him and say, wow, God has perfect patience for those who believe in him. And that is really helpful just to kind of, it helps us not give up on ourselves. I truly think there will be moments in the Christian life when we will be more tempted to give up on ourselves Mm -hmm. than God is. We'll be more frustrated with ourselves and we'll think, I'm ready to despair and throw in the towel. But God isn't given up. He hasn't given up on us. And so we mm -hmm. have to remember that. We have to say, you know, God is the one that I should measure my life by. And it's not to downplay sin. We want to take sin seriously. But it's just to say, God is patient. We just need to not give up. Uh, no amount of, of falling down will ultimately destroy us if we keep getting back up and running to Christ and just stay in the fight. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can speak to just maybe the way that our thought processes have changed and shaped with technology and the evolution of like how quickly things happen in our current culture. Like, you know, it starts with like the drive through. I don't know. I'm not like a historian or anything, but you go to the drive through and you can get like instant food. And and now I feel like we get on Instagram and, you know, we scroll and we see these like transformations of like a house or even like in Christian culture, this very small subculture on the internet. A lot of times we can just see like this I don't know, massive like platform just overnight or like this, mm. you know, seeming like deep revelations just like happen just and it almost makes you feel as if like you're not having these like immediate results that like there's something wrong. So I really appreciate your encouragement and I'd love any insight that you have just in regard to like what it looks like for us to grow in kind of that patience with one another and with ourselves in such an instantaneous culture. Mm-hmm. Yes, a good uh, a good example of what you're talking about is a microwave. <laughs> Usually, if you want to heat something up, it's going to take a longer time, and a microwave is you know it just zaps it so quickly. Yeah, and it's never quite right in the microwave. Like there's always that one cold chunk. Exactly, <laughs> and, you, and sometimes it doesn't taste as good. You know, you get right. just as hot. It's like it's it's faster, but it's not necessarily as good as using an oven or something like that. 
And it's a good good sort of image for this dynamic of the modern world, where so much of the modern world is the microwave rather than the oven. And the way human beings are designed is more like an oven than a microwave. You know, it's 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 the process that 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 does something. So I think a lot of people, I'm guessing a lot of people listening to this podcast feel that and and struggle with that and would desire mm-hmm. to slow down and would desire to to yeah. step back a bit from the the craziness. I feel that. Even just today I was reflecting upon that and just how I need to be disciplined in so for mm-hmm. me, you know, I have to be disciplined in how I use social media. I've just mm-hmm. I've learned that I'm not smarter than the algorithms. <laughs> uh, I can't trick them, they'll trick me. So, therefore I just have to have disciplined intentionality and so just the simple thing of deleting it off my phone and just having to have it on my computer um just done wonders for me it's been so Mm -hmm. and and i'm not saying everyone should do that other people can't maybe take that particular step but we should all think about how do i slow down the noise and the clutter which really robs us of joy just thinking long term and, you know, I'm a big believer in Sabbath rest and in sabbaticals and in time to get away and be quiet and listen to one's soul, uh, you know, and asking how is, what is the state of my soul? One particular practical thing that my wife and I have found helpful that I could maybe recommend is uh, certain times of the year, we do what we call stones of remembrance. Mm. Our anniversary is July 7th. So we do it on our anniversary and then we do it on January 1st. So just about halfway through the year and then at the beginning of the year. And every time we just look back and recount the ways we've seen that God is faithful. We look ahead and we dream and pray and just sort of ask the Lord for big things. And what has always amazed me is how many ways you can see the faithfulness of God but you might not think of them unless you're intentional to write it down or to make note of it and how many prayers God answers Hmm. to the point where we're we're saying we need to keep praying bigger prayers. (laughs) And um, of course he doesn't answer every prayer. Sometimes he redirects things and so forth, but he, he does bring us from point A to point B. And so thinking about this in terms of our walk with Christ and our sanctification can be helpful to have some kind of practice to take stock of the the long term where you can look back and you can look ahead and hopefully you can notice evidences of God's grace in your life. And that is so encouraging when you can see that because if if we don't take a long-term perspective day by day, we probably don't feel like we're growing that much. But if you take a long-term perspective, sometimes you can realize, you know, five years ago, I would have responded to this differently. And that is kind of encouraging when you can see that. Mm, I love that so much. One of the things that I always try to do is to recount God's faithfulness through my life. And then as I'm in the Word, uh, just recounting His faithfulness to His people throughout all of redemptive history. There's nothing more encouraging than that. But but even with that, there are times when it just feels like doomsday. And I don't know if you've experienced that, Gavin, but you're just like, man, I just, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Like, how am I going to make it to the end of my life and for God to like, look at me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So how does God guarantee that those who are his will persevere till the end? I would say for anyone listening to this, who's really in a time of suffering, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm just aware that there's a lot of suffering and a lot of grief right now in the world. A lot of people have 
um, lost a loved one. Many people are struggling mm-hmm. with mental health challenges, with depression and anxiety, and there's a, just a lot of darkness right now. It's a really, really tough time for many people. And so one of the things I would want to say is I do believe that God is He's kind and He's understanding. And so when we're really struggling, there's a way we could be focusing on our sanctification, which could be overly intense. And there are times when, like, if I'm, for example, if I'm pastoring someone and they're in a real deep, dark time, my first questions aren't, what is God teaching you through this? How are you fighting your sin through this? There could be a time for those questions, but especially if it's a deep suffering, I really don't go there. Um, I really mm. focus more on support and encouragement and friendship. And then hopefully as they emerge from that suffering, then we can get back to you know a full range of conversation. But I've just found mm-hmm. that when people are suffering, um, that can just put added burdens on their back sometimes, depending on how that's done. Of course, I want to leave a little wiggle room here for the complexities of people are different and so forth. But as a general rule, so I would say, first of all, when people are suffering, uh, when people are going through a dark time, um, make it the focus, make it the emphasis to consider the depth of the love of God. And that mm. that itself will change us and sanctify us as it consoles us and as it comforts us. And there's a way to bring it back to the personal realm where it's not just about a, a growth, though that's important, but it's also, first of all, of all about just loving and walking with God. Yes. And, and out of that, everything else flows. And so the encouragement I would give for to people who are in a difficult space or they are struggling, they may not feel like they're going to make it, is mm-hmm. Jesus Christ is the perfect Savior. And he is uniquely and perfectly suited for the job of saving us because he came into our world and he, he lived a human life. You know, he's even more equipped than he would be just by being all-powerful. Uh, He's all-powerful, so that's a good start. (laughs) Um, But then he died, and he was buried, and he he suffered, and, you know, he's been through everything that we go through, uh, at least categorically. The confidence that we have, the the assurance we have isn't that, well, we're making progress or, you know, we're going to try harder next week. The ultimate place we put our focus is how wonderful and awesome and kingly Jesus is. He can get mm. the job done. And so it's not about us. Um, it's his work. And so that's where I want to shepherd people's focus and, and shepherd their hearts. And as we put our focus there, there's a kind of relaxation that can happen. It, yes. It, it does kind of take the pressure off in, in a good way. I have one of those little letter boards and I'm always wondering, like, what should I put on my letter board? And I really think that after this conversation, I'm going to just put relax. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for helping me relax into what God is doing in me and trusting that he will bring about the good work that he began in me to its completion. What resources would you recommend for somebody that's like me who just desires to continue growing in their understanding of what God is doing through the sanctification process? Okay, I'll mention, uh, I'll just mention two books here. Um, one is on the older side, and it's a little bit more on the intense side. So if, if someone's thinking, okay, how can I relax? This may not be the one to start with, <laughs> but it is so good. And that is John Owen's book, The Mortification of Sin, which I think Banner of Truth has put out a, a copy of that. I think it's kind of drawn from some of his broader writings, but it is 
It's all about the verse in Romans 8 that talks about putting sin to death. And that's what the word mortification means when that's spiritual growth, you know, um, fighting sin. And it's just amazing. And it's so rich in the gospel and it's so convicting. And so I would highly recommend that, especially for someone who, you know, would benefit from like the Puritans and their more kind of rigorous approach. Another book that I'll mention is a little different. It's more contemporary and it's not as intense, but it's still in in a good way intense. But it's um, Tim Chester's book, You Can Change. Mm. I think that's the title. I, I I think that's right. It is. I have that book and I've been meaning to read it. It is the title and I, I have heard it's very good. Yeah. Thank you for helping me with that. It's so good. I, I took a group of guys through that book a couple of different times and it's very practical, really focused on the gospel, discussion questions and, and helpful ways to stimulate conversation. So I highly recommend that one too. I've got my reading list going. I do love the Puritans. I'm not going to lie. Those guys are my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> the Puritans are definitely um, some of my simple joys. Valley Vision's my favorite book of all time. But I'd love to hear from you. We always ask every guest who comes on the Journey Women podcast this one simple question. And it is, what are your three simple joys? Just because I love for the listeners to have an opportunity to get to kind of pull back the curtain and get to know you a little bit better. Yeah. In the spirit of kind of simple joys, one of the things that I have kind of in my daily routine is little moments to exercise through either biking or swimming. And so a lot of times I'll I'll swim at our pool on uh, my lunch break or I'll do an a uh-huh. bike ride in the evening. And I've just got a light on my bike now so I can do it even after the kids are in bed. Nice. Road biking? Do you do road biking? Yeah, road biking. That's right. So yeah, it's just, I mean, it, it, it's it was something about, you know, kind of in the spirit of we were talking about how cluttered life can be, something about being in the water or on my back and exercising and my mind is focused. It's just so refreshing to not be distracted by my phone or anything else and just be exercising. So uh, that's one of them. Another one is I have an app on my phone called Marco Polo. And yes, I've just found it so fun to reconnect with some of my old college friends. <laughs> and so like two of my friends, they live across on the other side of the country. So it's really hard to interface with them because it's a three hour time change. I normally wouldn't like call them on the phone. Like I, I'm not a big phone person in general. Anyway, Marco Polo is so convenient and it's just been really fun to just kindle a friendship and just talk about common interests and stay connected with them in that way. So that's another one. I I think the biggest one and the first thing I think of is being a dad, my focus on the kids in the evening, they are so much fun. They're waiting for me at the front door with Nerf guns when I get home. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's amazing. Ready to go. And then it's, you know, from 5 to 8 p.m. is like the most intense part of the day. And I'm gearing up for that. And then we usually wrestle and we have a whole kind of routine right before bed. And uh, just seeing my sons, I have two sons and two daughters, and seeing them laugh and as we're playing together is usually the most joyful moment of the day. That is so, so fun to hear. And I, I love thinking about that. Brooks has been working from home now that we've made the move here. And so it's interesting because he just comes out of his office and it's a different experience. But I'm now brainstorming um, how I can make my way to Target and pick up some Nerf guns. So thank you for that inspiration. I think my husband, as a former Army Ranger, would absolutely love that activity. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you have had such a great impact on um, many people across the 
really across the world through your the the opportunities that the Lord's given you to write. And I thank God for that. But one thing that always strikes me at Journey Women is how when I ask this question that everybody regular listeners will know I'm about to ask, like who's had the greatest impact on the way you know and love God? The thing that always strikes me is how it's usually the person that you're just doing life alongside that really doesn't have their name on a book anywhere that the Lord is using to bring about um, the greatest level of sanctification, like you mentioned, your kids. So I would love to hear from you who it is that's had the greatest impact on the way that you know and love God, Gavin. I think the per- there's a number of people in my family that I can mention that have influenced me, and I'm so grateful for my family and just the things that I've learned from them and, and hmm. ways I see God's grace to me um, through through many different people I can mention. But the, the person that honestly has changed me the most spiritually would be my wife. And mm. um, in many different ways, but the things that first leap to mind would be just her loyalty and her compassion for others are ways that I see the image of God in her. Um, she mm-hmm. is has this fierce loyalty and this deep compassion for, for other people. And she has a background working in mental health. Um, so she really understands people. She understands human psychology really deeply and intuitively. And so um, she's a good sort of counselor when I need a a counselor, <laughs> which sometimes happens, but she's also just such a loyal friend. And I've experienced God's grace and God's goodness through that. You know, I'm like thinking as you're talking, there's room for a whole Ortland wife series on Journey Women. <laughs> Let's just get them all. I like very often think I would love to talk with the wives of many of the men that I have on the show, but particularly those who are in your family. So please thank her for us. Thanks for her willingness to share you with us today and for your willingness just to join us on the Journey Women podcast. It's been a blessing to chat about this topic with you. And I'm so grateful that you'd come on the show. It's been my honor. I've really enjoyed it. And my, I should say that my wife is a huge fan of your podcast, listens to it all the time as well. I, I, I don't even know if I told her I'm doing this. So maybe she'll just be listening and she'll realize, oh, that's that'd be good. so fun. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. <laughs> she'll just see your name pop up in her podcast feed one day. Exactly. All right. I'll plan on that. That's so great. Thanks for joining us on the show. We pray this episode encourages you as you continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. If you want to hear more episodes in our current series, Knowing and Loving God, be sure to check out the archives in whatever podcast app you're using to listen or hit subscribe so that you don't miss out on future episodes of Journey Women. You can also catch us throughout the week on socials at Journey Women Podcast. This episode was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. We are so grateful for them and for you. Can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week.